0: Hi Hello and welcome to the Irish in Sweden podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor. I'm an Irish journalist who's been living here in Stockholm for the last 22 years and my how the time has flown. Over the last few months and years indeed we've seen a huge upswing in the numbers of Irish people living and working here in Sweden and the point of this podcast is to give us all something to gather around, a way of keeping in touch with one another. Over the coming episodes, I'll be talking to Irish people from all walks of life and trying to bring you information that's useful to you, regardless of whether you've been here for decades or whether you're just here to work for a few months or a couple of years. We've a great Irish community here, but many of us are also very aware of how lonely some people can get here, which is why the podcast is also going to be a platform for you to get in touch with me and with others in the community to tell stories and to find out things that will make our lives here all the richer. To get in touch with the show, you can email to irishinsweden at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at irishinswedenpod. Uh, and there's also going to be a Facebook page, Irish in Sweden podcast, and it'll be posted up on LinkedIn as well, but that'll probably be under my profile. Now, you will find on Patreon and places like that, that it's going to be under the Arrowman in Stockholm brand. That's a podcast I've had about media and news for the last several years, and it's just easier to put all those things in there together. So look for the Irish in Sweden podcast or Aeroman in Stockholm, and you will find what it is that you are looking for um, unlike Bono. There's also three ways that you can support the show. Uh, In a little while I'm going to have a swish number that you can send a donation to. If you want to become a regular contributor you can go to patreon.com forward slash Arrowman and Stockholm and sign up there. Uh, It's about the price of a cup of coffee every month, Uh, not if you go to espresso house because they're very expensive, but that will help keep things going here. As a professional journalist obviously have to try to make a few quid uh, to uh, motivate the effort that's going to go into making these pods over the next coming months and years. Uh, if you're a business, you can advertise or sponsor one or more specific episodes. And remember, this is a community podcast, so it might be that you have a company that has employees on the ground here, and they might benefit from listening regularly. So if you can, throw a few quid into the pot to keep the lights on here in the studio. And again, for details about advertising and sponsorship, you can mail to irishinsweden at gmail.com. And please do email. I want to talk about things and people that interest you. So send me your ideas and your thoughts and your experiences of living here in Sweden. If you want to mention a milestone for your soccer team or your Gaelic football club or your drama society or your granny's birthday, please do get in touch because the more people who want to contribute, the better this is going to be in the long run. Now, this week's episode features an interview with Ireland's current ambassador to Sweden, Austin Gormley, who is based in Ireland House here in Stockholm, and who was tasked with being our country's representative here in Sweden. For some of us, the embassy is simply somewhere to go to renew our passports every 10 years, but there's a whole lot more goes on at Håsla and Femme in the middle of the city. Before we hear from Austin, this episode is brought to you by the Irish For those of you who don't know, the Irish Store is based in Edinburgh and it's run by Graham Reynolds and his wonderful wife Malena, who I suspect does most of the work. They saved my life several times during the course of the pandemic, as none of us could get back to Ireland, but I could still order tea bags by the box load, and I did, and the whole lot was delivered in a couple of days they've just restocked their shelves in time for christmas with all manners of soups and gravies and chocolate and biscuits and you name it and they're offering a 10% discount to listeners of this podcast so if you go to the irish uh, if you go to the se, choose their huge range of products and then use the promo code nullig n o l l a i g the irish word for christmas when you get to the checkout you can also find them on Facebook, and it's worth giving them a follow as they post every time a new shipment comes in from the Emerald Isle. And in these dark days of winter, a taste of home is always welcome. So visit the se. use the promo code Nullig, NOLLAIG, to bring a bit of light to your kitchen this winter. And get your orders in as soon as possible for Christmas. Without further ado, let's hear from the man over here who is representing our country in Sweden. This is Austin Gormley, uh, the Irish ambassador to Sweden at the moment. Okay, we we'll get started with our very first guest uh, on the podcast, Ambassador Austin Gormley. Um, could I start by asking, I suppose, you've been here, have you been here for a year now? You have almost a year. I've been here for just over a year. Okay, what has surprised you most in your time here? Surprised?
1: Um, well, I guess I came here during a period of, of lockdown, so there was a contrast uh, with hmm. Ireland. You know, in the approach uh, to the management of the you of were set free in the, Sweden, <laughs> of the pandemic. Um, let's see, uh, yeah, let's say a slight yeah, psychologically, it was quite different uh, the way it's been managed here and the uh, the impacts. Um, so, so from that point of view, uh, it was certainly different. What surprised me? Well, I guess you know, just the sheer beauty of Stockholm, you know, its location uh, in an archipelago with, you know, the outdoors surrounding, lots of options, you know, in terms of uh, walks, parks, uh, lots of options, uh, also in terms of trips outside Stockholm, you know, it's a beautiful place and it's very well organised, public transport is excellent. Um, so uh, I guess it shouldn't have been a surprise in a sense, but it was It was very pleasant, I, say, uh, I would say, uh, transferring across here. Um, of course, uh, there's also uh, yeah, quite a strong Irish community here that I wasn't fully aware of. You know, over 3,000 Irish people in Sweden uh, who've been here, like yourself, for many
0: years. They you won't know? let me back into Ireland <laughs> anymore now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But um, you're sitting in one of the most beautiful parts of the city here. Indeed, before we started recording, we are talking about this lovely location in central Stockholm. Yeah. And now everything is sort of centralised here. So, what's Ireland's sort of official presence uh, in Sweden like?
1: Well, um, you're in Ireland House now, Phil, which uh, houses the embassy, obviously, but also Enterprise Ireland uh, and Bia. So, uh, as I was just saying to you earlier, we now have um, well, 16 people working uh, in the agencies and in the embassy here covering Enterprise Ireland and Bia, cover the Nordic region uh, from Stockholm. So, in, in, in a way, it's uh, certainly commercially um, a hub for Ireland in the, in the wider Nordic region.
0: Um, and what does the day-to-day work here look like? Because you have a very specific role as the ambassador, but then you also work very closely with Enterprise Ireland and with Board Bia. Is this a very busy place to work?
1: Yes, certainly, and you know you'll be aware that our exports to Sweden are growing quite rapidly uh, at, at the moment, both in well in various areas, including uh, financial services, software, but also high tech construction and construction of data centers, for example, and also renewable energy projects uh, in Sweden. So. Quite a big jump in twenty twenty over 2019 uh, alone uh, in our in our exports. We're also doing very well on the food side in terms of beef exports and and sheep meat, lamb uh, in particular. Tourism, of course, has been uh, quite devastated in Ireland by the by the pandemic. But they, I know, Tourism Ireland are hopeful of a of a rebound. Uh, once, uh, once people start travelling fully again um, into 2022, um, so Tourism Ireland are investing already in in media relationships and uh, in, in campaigns to remind people of Ireland as a as a destination, if you like, you know. So the commercial part and support of the work of state agencies is a very important part of the role of the embassy. But beyond that, of course, our core responsibilities, if you like, as well, are to Irish citizens and protect uh, Irish citizens that uh, sometimes, unfortunately, you know, will have some difficulties in Sweden um, to support the community and uh, GAA and other organisations. You're very active yourself, but GAA, uh, the Swedish-Irish Society and the Irish Chamber. Um, And also politically, obviously, to deepen, uh, develop and deepen the relationships further at a political level uh, with Sweden, an important ally within, let's say, the European Union, but also uh, internationally. uh, We're we're very akin to Sweden in terms of our values and the the importance we attach, for example, to the work of the United Nations and UNP keeping internationally. So political connections and deepening those relationships are also very important. I think Sweden has recently reopened its embassy in Dublin after a very long absence. Is that correct? Sweden has made a decision to reopen. Uh, you're right. Uh, after ten years, uh, they closed in Dublin ten years ago. So uh, I th- we see that as very much the gov- Irish government sees that as very much a positive affirmation of the importance of the bilateral relationship. Uh, of course, it's important as well that, that Sweden und- and other countries understand the dynamics in the ground in, in Ireland post Brexit. You know, so that may have been a may have been a factor as well as the the commercial relationship, obviously, which is, as I said, uh, very strong. So, look, the reopening of the Swedish Embassy in Dublin is very important uh, and it it rebalances, in a sense, the bilateral relationship.
0: You mentioned food there. Just had a quick question about Bord beer because 20 years ago when I moved here, uh, Irish meat was still tamed with mad cow disease which we always uh, said was something to do with the British more so than the Irish and it was, a, uh, for instance, minced meat was sold at a low price point and people here in Sweden thought that that was sort of low quality, stay away from that, you'll go mad from that. What's the sort of the impression of Irish food now? Because I know great efforts were made to sort of present it not being a cheap thing, as being a premium product. Yeah. Is that how it's perceived now in Sweden?
1: Well, Swedish consumption patterns are changing actually uh, on the, on the uh, meat side there. Actually, in terms of beef and sheep meat, they're uh, moving up to uh, higher value, uh, let's say, product. And Ireland has a real opportunity there and we're seeing growth as a result. So they are looking for the better quality cuts. And if you look at a supermarket, again, you will see increasingly Irish product Uh, in in, in the supermarkets. Uh, There's also issues of supply from, uh, from some Swedish on the Swedish side and also for some continental producers,
0: which gives us an opportunity in the market. We've seen an issue there as well around Brexit, because uh, all of a sudden there's a whole heap of things that you couldn't get anymore. And I know I won't mention the particular brand name of Sausages, but which is now uh, filling that gap from a certain part of Southwestern Ireland. So, uh, <laughs> nice to see that there's some success coming out of that. Exactly. If we just move on, Austin, to um, the general public has this idea of that uh, the Irish Embassy is there when anything goes wrong. I can call them up and uh, they'll fix absolutely everything for me. Now, you and I know that that's not the case, right? But if we talk about what are called consular cases here, what kind of things do people, People end up reaching out to you for help. For
1: well, it can be, uh, and you're absolutely right, Phil. There are certain things we can and can't do. Um, it classically lost passports. Um, you know, people will get into um, minor issues also with um, sometimes um, with uh, local infractions of the law. Let's say. Um, and that can sometimes in Sweden result in detention um, pending trial. So in those cases where people are arrested, and again I'd emphasise a small number of cases where people are arrested in Sweden, what the embassy can do, of course, is ensure that the citizens have access to legal advice Uh, and we can also, you know, we can provide a list of lawyers. Uh, We can ensure that connections are made to the family back home if needed, if there are any issues with communication. We're interested, of course, in the welfare of citizens, particularly those who are detained. What we can't do is Get you off the charges. Uh, we can't get you released from prison, and we can't change prison rules or detention rules. For instance, you know. So I think just as our citizens need to know, as you say, you know, be realistic about what we can and can and can't uh, can't do. Mm.
0: In terms of that, right, because we're now talking at probably coming into the last week of November, I'd imagine this is a point where a lot of people are dusting down the passport that was at the back of the drawer and realising that, oh, that's out of date and I want to go home for Christmas. (laughs) Um, What are reasonable expectations for an Irish citizen in Sweden looking for a passport? Is it something that you can fix overnight? Should they do it four to six, eight weeks in advance? Uh, How, you know, I mean, because I understand that this occurs every year here with people panicking because, oh, I have to get home and I have no passport.
1: Well, first thing I would say is Check the date uh, and there 's uh, the, the date of expiry you allow at least six months on your, on your passport. There is a reminder service on the passport website mm-hmm. uh, so that again you can get a, receive an SMS to remind you to, to renew so early renewal look at least as you say six weeks ideally uh, before you intend to travel uh, plug in the application online i 'd say now, Phil, uh, because uh, the vast majority of applications are are processed online now if you 're applying for a child and particularly a first time passport. There are documentary requirements, more detailed documentary requirements, as you probably know, uh, and these documents have to be sent across uh, separately. So, again, allow more time, obviously, in terms of first-time applications, and particularly uh, for children, and just follow the instructions uh, very carefully. But I, I would say, of course, I would say this, I was involved in the passport service, as the director of the passport service, for a couple of years, uh, but, uh, around the time of Brexit, actually, 2015 to 17, We smart. we have, I, I think we genuinely, though, we have one of the best passport services now, uh, anyway. Anywhere that you will see in the world in terms of the online, the online uh, delivery of, uh, particularly for renewals. Um, as I say, it's a little bit slower, obviously, if you're outside the state,
0: um, but the processing is very effective if you've all the documentation. Lined up. There is an interesting anomaly there, because when you look at the instructions, uh, certain forms have to be signed by a Garda or a priest, right? Yeah. and I know of people here, Irish people who have turned up to their local police station and they said, okay, no, <laughs> we don't do that yeah, kind of thing yeah, here. Yeah. What would they need to do in that situation there? Who, who might be able to sign those things from here that would be acceptable to the Irish Embassy?
1: Yeah, well, actually, in Ireland, just to be aware, with the online, we no longer require uh, signature or witnessing by a guard. Okay. Um, And, in fact, that's one of the big positives of online, in a sense. We verify identity. Uh, through facial recognition now mm. um, uh, when we upload the photo, the photograph online. So the fact that we don't require Garda endorsement or witnessing of forms has actually released a lot of Garda time in Ireland. I can imagine no. uh, Yeah. Likewise, well, here, there is a list, all right, of approved witnesses. Um, and again, it's particularly important in the case of children. I think there's about 17, 18... Uh, categories now of witnesses yeah. uh, that are allowed, and we did expand it previously, uh, acknowledging that there were issues overseas, you know, with police not not mm. signing, etc. So look, the, it's a wide range, Phil, but it, but it goes from dentists, vets, nurses, uh, kindergarten teachers, uh, members of the clergy, medical doctors, etc. So I think it's pretty comprehensive,
0: and mm. most people shouldn't have any difficulty in having the uh, the forms witnessed yeah. at this stage. I think the hard part probably for Irish people, and that would be that. It's it's a great that the Irish Embassy yeah. has expanded that, right? But if you say to anybody here, if you go to a kindergarten teacher and say, oh, by the way, can you sign this form, right? Nobody here wants to take responsibility for that kind of thing. They don't want to sign anything, they don't want to put them out. And it was actually uh, Marco Sullivan from Cork who said to me today that he's still looking to learn the Swedish word for accountability. You know? <laughs> so there's an awful lot of people who don't want to be involved. But they, those options are there for them then if they're going to be renewing passports or, or applying for first time for one of their children or that,
1: yeah? Yeah, you no, know, as I say, for renewals it's online, yeah. so it shouldn't be an issue. essentially because you know uh, when we're having passports renewed, we, we know your identity. You've already established your identity for mm-hmm. a renewal. Uh, and as I say, we use facial recognition technology then in the background yep. uh, to double-check. Um, it's really around fir- first-time applicants uh, and around children. And, and I do acknowledge, yeah, it can be a bit tricky. Um, but certainly the list is comprehensive and people I've I spoken to have yeah, managed to inveigle or whatever. <laughs> if people on the list to, to, to endorse, the witness the forms,
0: um, but I take that point. Yeah, no, it's, just, it's an interesting one because uh, in all the years very Irish people been here, it's one of those things that keeps cropping up. Now, you're going to hate me for asking this question also, but I've got to ask it anyway, right? Um, in the event that it's the 22nd, the 23rd of December, you arrive up at Arlanda Airport with all your suitcases and your presents for the mummy back home, and you put your hand in your pocket and the passport is gone, is there anything the Irish Embassy can do in that instance?
1: If your passport is uh, not uh, as, as to hand, then it is a problem, to be honest. We do issue, we can issue uh, what we call emergency travel certificates, but that's for a genuine emergency. Yeah. It's not for routine travel. Um, and uh, been missing at Christmas dinner while very upsetting, I know... Uh, for the for the parents back home, family back home, uh, wouldn't really constitute an emergency, you know, for the Irish uh, state. Uh, for the Irish state. Um, so so it's really genuinely only in the case of uh, only in the case of emergency. So I, again, I've just emphasised the need to get the get the house, do the housekeeping in advance. You know, make sure the passport is in date and that you apply uh, in good time. Um, we uh, just on the emergency uh, issue, by the way, we have a nice uh, nice story in the sense that um, infants in Ireland are taken across. Uh, to sweden on a regular basis for um, emergency treatment uh, postnatal and we issue emergency passports for these infants because of course they don't have full irish passports Mm -hmm. when they're just born so that's a case i guess where emergency passports you know are literally make a difference you know uh, these are life life life-changing and Mm -hmm. life-saving procedures that are undertaken on irish infants in in sweden at the Karolinska hospital for which we're uh, very grateful. Uh, and again, so emergency passports are used for those infants in those very exceptional circumstances.
0: Actually, I've, I've met some of those families who've been involved in those situations and it is a great help uh, to people especially from the Swedish people and our gratitude for that is absolutely boundless but again there would be that thing of that um, many of them don't really know what to expect or they have expectations of you guys as an embassy is that difficult for you to say to somebody look there are limits to what I can do here is it difficult for you and the staff here at the embassy? Uh,
1: I, I feel in the case uh, cases like that where families are travelling across with, with sick infants etc the embassy as mm-hmm. do with any embassy around the world pull out, put out all the stops you mm-hmm. know um, I mean in those cases sometimes family members travel with infants. Uh, Sometimes they travel separately. But, um, and I have to say, the hospitals in Ireland as well and the HSE have a very good system in place now in terms of communication between the hospital in Ireland and the hospital here. And our role really is, yeah, support to the families if anything arises. Um, and to get the emergency documents for the infants to allow them to travel back to Ireland, uh, to return back to Ireland once the treatment is uh, is completed. It's generally within a couple of days, you know. Mm. So just to say to you, when I say do's and don'ts, and you know what the embassy can and can't do for you. Of course, if in case of real genuine emergencies uh, where where uh, where Irish citizens are in in
0: difficulty, we're we're always we
1: are always there.
0: You mentioned a little bit earlier when we were talking about um, Sweden reopening an embassy in Dublin, about this the sort of political aspect of things and how important that is. Uh, a little bit earlier in the year, uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, announced a Nordic strategy. So for the first time, Ireland now has a strategy, not just for Sweden, but for Norway, for Denmark, for Finland. Um, could you just briefly outline what that is and, and why it's so important to
1: Ireland? Well, I guess um, the Nordic region has always been important to Ireland. You know, obviously, historically Mm. um, we have connections. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) A lot of our citizens, a lot of our cities, have uh, Nordic connections, uh, are founded by uh, by the Vikings. Um, So historically, very close uh, connections. Obviously, in terms of culturally as well, we're we're quite akin. I think you would say, you know, it's it's very easy as Irish people to to live in uh, and and work here. Mm. Um, I think, um, and I mentioned earlier, in the United Nations, uh, again, very like-minded in terms of our values. Um, support for developing countries and support against the fight against um, poverty and hunger internationally as well. Uh, we'd be very, very like-minded uh, with the, with the Nordics, and there is the commercial dimension. As I said, you know, post Brexit, uh, particularly the diversification of markets. This is our home market, the European Union, and also Norway and Iceland that are not in the EU but are in the uh, are in the EA. Uh, so these are our home markets. They're growing markets. They're undergoing transition to, you know, a high tech. A further transition into high tech, green economy. Ireland uh, can benefit from that in terms of knowledge exchange. But we also, uh, like on our side as well, we have technologies and expertise, for example, in connecting renewables into the grid, mm-hmm. uh, which is of interest to Sweden and other countries in the Nordic. So the Nordic strategy is intended to, to send a signal of intent politically that you're, that these countries are still very important to us. They're key allies. Uh, those that are in the EU. European Union are key allies of ours within within the union very similar perspectives and as I say, we will be redoubling efforts to deepen our commercial exchanges, uh, trade and investment exchanges, and also the cultural space. Uh, as you know, um, again, we've traditionally had, you know, Irish traditional music, river dance is popular here, as I understand. Time, yeah, yeah? Uh, Irish traditional music, Irish literature. Of course, we've a number of Nobel uh, Prize winners of Irish literature. There's an Irish Studies Centre in Uppsala University, uh, which is very important within Scandinavia, um, and people-to-people links and Within the strategy as well, we've signaled, and I personally, and and certainly signaled in the strategy, would like to see more exchanges uh, between, uh, you know, at at, uh, secondary school level, at third level through Erasmus and Erasmus Plus programmes uh, between Ireland and and the Nordics. You know, so as I say, I think it's a very positive signal of intent from the the Irish government side, and certainly the governments in in the region, Nordic region, have welcomed it as such.
0: Uh, you were up in Lulio near the Arctic Circle very recently, right? Yeah. Now, until recently, I don't suppose Luleå was a major part of the Irish community, but now <laughs> in places like there, like Javla, Vesterås, or lebro there's a lot of Irish people who are involved over here in the building of data centres for various, various big multinational companies. Um, we were talking a little bit offline about how, you know, sort of the challenges facing people coming in, going to work and moving out again. But could you just describe what the situation in Luleå is? Because there's a fairly big Irish presence there at the moment, isn't there? There is
1: um, a number of Irish companies are successfully working, uh, as you say, on data centre projects. What they call hyperscale uh, data centre projects in in uh, in Lulio near Lulio, uh, also in wind energy. Again, we have major companies supplying. Uh, infrastructure to a major wind uh, energy farm uh, in the region just south of Lulio, and we have interest as well in supplying into other significant projects such as green steel uh, that you'll be aware of there. So uh, at any one time there can be hundreds uh, of Irish citizens, skilled uh, tradesmen, uh, project managers, administrators uh, overseeing significant projects, mainly high-tech construction projects in in northern Sweden. Now, some of them are in for years; others are in for weeks at a time. But there's a constant churn, uh, certainly uh, of Irish people and uh, linked to these this Irish company presence in, in, in the region. And I think it's very positive that Ireland is contributing, if, in a sense, to the reindustrialization of Sweden. You know, and that move to the greener energy as well. Um, so that's, it's a very positive story. Um, it's a smallish town, Lulio, as you well know. Um, so, so uh, you know the influx not just of Irish, there's also workers as well from mainly from Eastern Europe and Southern Europe coming into the town. So there's a real sense of a dynamic community up there, and a lot of change going on, and very significant infrastructure projects. And and again, Ireland is
0: very much at the heart of this. Mm. One of the things that I was, uh, we were at a recent football tournament in Yavla, which is about an hour and 40 minutes' drive north of Stockholm here. And I was talking to the lads from Ludium, from Yavla, and I was asking them to try to leave some sort of a legacy. So even if they leave in 10 years' time, that I would like the Gaelic football clubs that have been set up there, that they would try to involve the locals, the women. What can the legacy of these things be? Do you see people who are working on these building sites now meeting partners, settling down, or do you expect them to be gone in 10 years?
1: Is this uh, like your case, uh, fair? exactly? Yeah. I are you're
0: refugees. <laughs> are you
1: advocating it? Uh,
0: uh, well, I, I, I can recommend it. It's worked out all right for me, you know.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, no, look, that's a very good point, actually. Um, and I think the Irish companies uh, up there and in Yavla are very keen to emphasise, uh, you know, those links... Uh, those community links, you know, being good corporate citizens, that they're not just here for, you know, short term. They're here for the longer term. So I think that's an important signal sent by the Irish companies. And as you say, the you know, people working for these companies are very active in the in the GAA. And, and congratulations to you and everybody else who's who've been active in setting up these clubs. You know, um, so so they have been building those links. They've also been building. The companies I know are very keen to emphasise that they want to build up the capacity of local suppliers as well as mm-hmm. subcontractors. So it's not not just a question again of these multinationals like Irish companies compete uh, in a transparent, obviously, way on tenders by these multinational companies, uh, they, they they have been successful in winning these tenders. But they also subcontract. Then a number of subcontractors are from Ireland, but there are also subcontractors, local subcontractors. And the message certainly to us and uh, when we were there was very much that that the Irish companies want to build up local capacity, local expertise as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you say, so it's not just uh, you, you know quick in, quick out. You know that there's a longer term commitment. So that message is. is it's loud and clear.
0: One final question. Um, one of the saddest parts, I suppose, about being a diplomat and being part of the the foreign corps is that you're here for a reasonably specific. You know, might be one year, might be three years, might be four years if you're lucky. You know. Um, what do you hope to have achieved by the time you leave this lovely view out over Stockholm in a few years' time?
1: Oh, that's a tough one there, Phil. Yeah, you're putting... <laughs> that's
0: what I said last.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're putting it up to me. Yeah, well, what we were doing, we were busy drafting the Nordic strategy, I guess, over over the last uh, number of months um, during COVID. So in a way, the strategy does set out our intent, you know, um, in terms of what we're hoping to achieve here and in the wider Nordic region over the next to 2025. And I hope I'll still be here by at least 2024. You know, yeah. it might be an argument for me to stay on uh, for the extra year. So, what I hope to achieve, look, we want to intensify political connections, uh, political visits. Um, we have minister, uh, the Minister for European Affairs, Thomas Byrne, in Stockholm next week to meet his counterpart and to meet the European Affairs Committee. So, I think within the European Union, as I say, we need to you know, continue to deepen those, re- the, the, those relationships. It's very important. And get other ministers uh, across in, in, in both directions. Uh, economically, I talked about the agenda there of the, of the state agencies, which we, we support and certainly the prospects are strong, like Sweden is a, is a growing economy a relatively low to d- g- GDP, we see a lot of potential here, so we'll be here, to, I'd like to see more Irish companies, including smaller Irish companies, let's say indigenous Irish companies uh, exporting to Sweden and, and, and the wider region in the years ahead and we need to ra- raise awareness I guess of that potential, that's part of the uh, objective. Um, on the People to People side, I mentioned uh, youth exchanges and uh, exchanges between secondary schools, working at the moment with uh, looking at working with Laragos at the moment and in, 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 in how we can increase the number of younger people coming across to Sweden. What I'd like to see would be, you know, obviously we, we look traditionally and our younger people tend to look traditionally for employment and for study to the UK and the US and mm-hmm. Australia and the English-speaking world um, and that's completely valid of course but I think, you know, within the European Union, Ireland's committed member will be there for the longer term. We need to get more younger people looking to Sweden at the potential it offers for learning, the potential it offers as well, okay, like long, longer term and career-wise, as you've successfully integrated here, as an example. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd li- I would like to really see that. I'd like to see, again, more, more cultural exchange uh, betw- between two countries. We're looking at a potential exchange of young architects, for example, uh, with ArcDes Museum here in, in Stockholm. Um, so that kind of exchange and cooperation, I think just deepening it over the years ahead will be very important. And that's my remit, Phil yeah that's what i'll be working on in the in the years ahead
0: it's going to keep you busy ambassador austin gormley thank you so much for talking to me
1: thank you very much phil it's a pleasure
0: you go, Ireland's ambassador to Sweden, Austin Gormley. We've had about uh, thrown in the ball at, at the, to start one of the football tournaments that we had here, a Gaelic football tournament here in Stockholm, and it's... Uh It's great to see some sense of normality returning. Uh, I know the pandemic has been handled very differently here compared to other places, but it was great to have Austin out there. And it's great to be in touch and to know who these people are. And over the coming months and weeks and years, hopefully, uh, on this podcast, we'll talk to people from Tourism Ireland and from Borbea and from the various different companies around the place, from Spuds and Sill. But again, it all comes down to you, my friends. Uh, So email irishandsweden at gmail.com. Get involved. This is your podcast. Consider it like local radio. You know, if you want something said, if you want to get something off your chest, you want to get in touch with people, and let's make this a real community-based thing. Uh, We're at the beginning of December here, so hopefully we'll have a few year-enders. We might round up the year in sport. I've actually spoken to Zach Elbizade, who played for AIK here, a lad from Swords who joined in the summer. So there's a little interview with him coming up a little bit later on this week, maybe early next week. But like I say, get in touch, and let's make this all it can be. For the time being, take care of yourselves.